Good morning, church. Pray with me. Jesus, I need you. I need you now. We have worked together. We prepared for this moment. But now it's your time. Use me. May my words be your words. And may we experience you in a mighty way this morning. In your loving son's name I pray. Amen. Welcome to Freddy's Yard Sale. <laughs> we have all kinds of items of interest. This has been an interesting week, I must admit. Some of you know that in my office I have a sign on the wall, and I reference it quite often. And it had the word journey on it. You know, I like that word journey. I don't give Bible studies anymore. I journey with people who we study the Bible together. Journey has been a part of my life probably the last 10 years that all of a sudden has changed. I see little sayings like, the Christian life is not a sprint, it is a journey of 10 million steps. Make sure you wear your Fitbits, okay, guys? But see, it caught my eye again because really that's what it's all about, journey. You've heard the old saying that when you buy a red car, you go out and drive, all of a sudden, guess what? You see red cars everywhere. The other day I get in the mail, surprised me. New paper from the conference, Adventist Journey. <laughs> How did they know? How did they know? I mean, I read articles, and there's the journey. I was even at a stoplight the other day, and I looked up. Guess what I saw on the back of this vehicle? Journey. I said, God, you're good. You are good. This morning, we're going to be looking at what I want to call the joy in the journey. The joy in the journey. But I'm going to have you reflect with me for a brief moment. It was 1987, summertime. And I went on one of my best vacations ever. Three weeks in the Hawaiian Islands. I was excited. My oldest son Joshua was seven, Charlie was four. And how this came about was that my mother-in-law and sister-in-law both worked night shifts as nurses in Seattle. And they accumulated money and accumulated money and accumulated money because Aunt Jan or Janny to me, she wanted to take our family on a vacation of a lifetime. She's been to Hawaii with her husband multiple times, but she wanted to take her whole family 
to Hawaii. And so the day came when we went to Seattle and we woke up the next morning. And I should have known when Janie, I'll tell you, she does nothing cheap or... We got a knock at the door and there was the chauffeur of the stretch limo to pick us up to take us to the airport. This is Janie. And that started my three weeks. The only way I could describe it was I became like my boys. I would wake up in the morning and I would go for a run and I would kind of look around, but I'd come back and it was, well, what are we going to do today? Because, see, she had a plan. She had a plan for it. wasn't so much residential. Well, so much regimented that we couldn't change, but she had a plan that she wanted to provide for us. And so all I had to do was to surrender to her, and she would have our days planned out. And you know what? She didn't fail. It was a joy of a lifetime. A joy of a lifetime. That vacation... To me, I will treasure till the day I die. I'll probably even talk about it in heaven. Because there was just something about that vacation that bonded us together as a family that I will never forget. But when we go down our journey, and we are all on journeys, aren't we? We have them. In our journeys, we have storms, we have pit uh, uh, potholes, we have bumps, we have problems. But we also have to come to the realization that on our journey, there is one who doesn't want us to achieve or meet our destination. The thief does not come except to steal and to kill and destroy. Folks, that's what we are up against. And we saw it big time on the news this week down in Florida. The enemy doesn't care squat about you. He doesn't want us to have a joyful journey. He just wants to take you to where his journey is taking him. I came across Thursday in my readings this statement. There are all kinds of things that threatens us, hurts us, and confuses us. The devil loves, no, loves nothing more than using these things to keep us down so that he can have the upper hand. That's what his goal is. But, I love buts, but God has given us everything we need to keep the devil in his place, beginning with the word of God. Here's the answer. Here's the antidote, the word of God. To live in victory, we must do more than know his word. Did you hear that? 
We need to do more than just hear his word. We must put his word into action. Satan may attack you, but he doesn't have to defeat you because the victory is yours. Jesus continues in this text, but I have come that they may have life and that they may have it more abundantly. He doesn't want you to get caught up with the frustrations of the enemy because he's saying the victory has already been won. I am there for you. I have come that you can have life and that you can have it abundantly, not down the road, but now. Now. And when we understand that and get that perspective right in our eyes that I can experience God now, then I can look at the words that John gives to or James gives to us. Consider it pure joy, my brothers and sisters, whenever you face trials of many kinds because you know that the testing of your faith produces perseverance. Let perseverance finish its work so that you may be mature and complete not lacking anything. I've always found that text intriguing. Consider it pure joy when you're persecuted. Mm. But with God, all things are possible. All things are possible. It's my perspective, it's my attitude, it's what I bring to the table at that time that gives it the joy of even the persecution that surrounds me or the storm that is dumping upon me. He also continues, if any of you lacks wisdom, any takers? You lacking wisdom? I am. If any of you lack wisdom, you should ask God who will... Give generously to all without finding, without finding fault. That is a God who loves us unconditionally. He's not looking at his list to see where we have erred or made mistakes. And it will be given to you. But when you ask, you must believe and not doubt because the one who doubts is like a wave of the sea, blown and tossed by the wind. I want you to take verse 6 and put it on a hook in your mind. Because we're going to talk about it later down the road. God wants us to experience joy. He has written into the scriptures, I have told you this so that my joy may be in you and that your joy may be complete. He wants his joy in me. The Holy Spirit houses himself within me. The joy is ready for the taking. It's me who causes the problems. I am so bound up. I am so confining the Spirit to even move that I can't experience the joy that he wants me to have now. Until now you have not asked for anything in my name. Ask and you will receive and your joy will be complete. 
I like James 4. You do not have because you do not ask. Parents. I've experienced this with my two boys. When my boys would come up to me and say, Daddy, can you help me with this? Come on, parents. How did that make you feel? They came to me instead of the neighbor. (laughs) And he's pretty good. But I'm their daddy. And when my sons come to me as their daddy and say, Daddy, can you help me? I will help. I will do whatever I can to help them. But I will be rewarded in the process for the fact that they came to me and I cannot help but our Heavenly Father feels the same way. Fred, it gives me such joy when you come to me and ask me for help. Because, Fred, I want to be in your life. He continues to share with us in scriptures, I am coming to you now, but I say these things that while I'm still in the world so that you may have the full measure of my joy within them. He just doesn't want a little bit of joy in us. He doesn't want a half a cup of joy. He wants a joy that is overflowing. And he wants us to experience it every day. And never cut yourself short. A cheerful heart is good medicine, but a crushed spirit dries up the bones. Oh, boy. That's a prescription that the doctor should give out more. But doctor, you need a cheerful heart, Fred. (laughs) You need a cheerful heart. But in order for me to have a cheerful heart, what do I have to do? Hang on that thought. We'll get to it momentarily. This is the day that the Lord has made. We will rejoice and be glad in it. Ah, It is a blessing to come here and listen to this praise team. It gives me great joy because I know the music is taking me to the throne room of heaven. And there's no better place to be than in God's presence. Joy. Christ wants us to experience joy. It's prevalent through the scriptures. But not just a little bit. But he wants us to have it mm, abundantly. This morning, I look at my journey as a photo book. These days, these are kind of far and few between with the digital works. And I know, honey, I told you I will. She loves photo albums. So do I. But anymore, they just seem to house in my camera on my computer. And that's okay, but I think really the photo album, you have a chance to reminisce. You have a chance to remember. Ah, that picture takes you right back to that time frame. This morning, I want us to talk about two snapshots from my journey that I believe that I have valued from and that I have utilized. It's these four words. You see them up here on the the wall. They normally sit behind my desk in my office. 
You're probably wondering, friend, what's so special about those words? When Pastor Eric was here, we had a good talk in his office one day. And you know, sometimes we try to do things on our own doing. For example, New Year's Eve resolutions. Yeah. This year, I'm going to lose some weight. I'm going to get in shape. And I'm going to be a better person. So what do I do? I go out and get my new sweatpants, my sweatshirt, my new shoes. I get all the right food. I line them up on the table. I wake up the first day, and I say, you've got to be kidding me. But I do it. Second day, oh, okay. That's about as far as it gets. <laughs> See, the problem that I experience is really the problem that each one of you experience. I read the scriptures, and they experienced it. Because we have a tendency to say, I need to change. So therefore, by changing, I look at my feelings and my behavior. If I could just change my behavior, I'll change. When I talked with Pastor Eric talking about a situation, he says, Fred, if you were to continue to go down that road with that individual to try to help him change his behavior, you will fail every time. Every time. But Eric, what do I do? Help that individual to know why he does it and to help him in his belief to gain strength from God in order to do it. That makes sense to you? It does. When I do counseling in my office, nine times out of ten, people who come in, they start dumping on my table about their problem. And that's okay. I love to listen. And that's what it's all about. But the problem seems to come from behavior and feelings. Because they want to change somebody or that person hurt my feelings so that's why I am here today hmm. belief and thoughts are so powerful in order for us to have the right perspective of life but entwined with all of that I came across the words of react versus respond Ask you a question. Did Jesus react or respond when he walked on this earth? Well, if, if, if I'm a betting man, he responded. Ah, but what about the time he walked into and he tipped over the, the tables and the stuff? He still responded. Because, see, when it comes to responding, you have to gather the information into your mind to be able to make a judgment call. But when you react, <laughs> that's the default button that most of us have. That button gets pushed, and before we know it, 
I've said something, I've done something that I really, really regret. And we see a lot of that now on social media. I wish I wouldn't have done that. A reaction is instant. It's driven by the beliefs, biases, and prejudices of the unconscious mind when you say or do something without thinking. <laughs> There's a clue right there. If you do something without thinking, that's the unconscious mind running the show. A reaction is based in the moment and doesn't take into consideration the long-term effects of what you do or say. Are there consequences to our actions? Yeah, you better believe there are. And those are discussed around my table in my office as well. Because the enemy has no sympathy for me or anybody here. Because all he wants to do is destroy you. And he'll get you so caught up in the feelings and reactions that he'll have you do things without even thinking about it. And you're going to come back later and regret the fact that you did that. A reaction is survival-oriented and on some level a defense mechanism. It might turn out okay, but often a reaction is something you regret later. I know if I'm up in the mountains with Jesse and I see a bear, the best thing for me to do is run. But not just run, but run faster than Jesse. <laughs> That's a good reaction. I love you, bro, but I'm putting my new sweatsuit and tennis shoes on. A response, on the other hand, usually comes more slowly. Why? Why slowly? It's based upon information from both the conscious mind and the unconscious mind. A response will be more ecological, meaning that it takes in consideration. It takes into consideration the well-being of not only you, but those around you. It weighs the long-term effects and stays in line with you, with, with your core values. It's gathering, gathering information which is so crucial to be able to respond. But when you do that, you're far better off. Far better off. Sometimes 10 times out of 10, you'll do the right thing with the Lord's help. Because Jesus responded. He took in consideration. Many times in the scriptures it say that Jesus went to the hillside early in the morning to talk to his father. He put himself in isolation to be able to contemplate, to think, to gather his thoughts together in order for him to respond to the issues at hand that was taking place then. He did not react. He responded. I'm just not talking to you. I'm talking to me. This is an area that deals with each one of us. We all have to deal with it. Unfortunately, reaction like a knee-jerk reaction. It just happens before we even think about it. But let's just pray that the Lord will give us the ability to refrain and to respond. That was picture number one. 
picture number two has to do with more recently. Last September. Well, I got to set this one up. I have an aunt. Her name is Aunt Phyllis. Youngest of nine kids. She was a pretty special aunt. She was probably 10 years younger than the last. I mean, she, she was younger than the rest of them. But unfortunately, in her life, she got arthritis in her joints, in her knees, in her hands. And it became very painful for her. It became very painful for her to come to family gatherings because she would walk with a limp. One of her legs just stoved up and she can never seem to bend it. The family took her to Loma Linda one time to even help down there. She'd been to the Seattle to get injections of gold. She did everything to relieve the pain that she was experiencing due to this arthritis and multiple things within her life. She fought a battle. She fought the battle. She was weak. She was frail. Last September, I got a phone call and said, Aunt Phyllis fell. She broke her. Well, <laughs> charade games, okay, two words. Pelvis <laughs> and her right hip. That week I was preparing for my sermon that I was going to give. So I broke away, went to Cadillac, went to her room. There she sat with her husband, Uncle Pete. I said, oh, fellas, I am so sorry. She looked at me, she said, don't worry, friend. Don't worry. I got a God who loves him. I trust in him. And she's lying on the bed telling me this. I said, oh, fellas, you got good spirits. We continue to talk. I was amazed by how uplifted she was. And I said, well, what does the future hold for you? She says, well, pretty much I'm going to be bedridden. The doctor says I can't walk anymore. I'm going to be pretty much in a bed. Oh, I'm so sorry. It's okay, Fred. It's okay. Because, see, my daughter and her husband have already taken in Uncle Pete because he was staying in the den in that hospital bed, but now Phyllis could be in the living room and her hospital bed, and they could be together as a family, and they decided that they could, they could take care of Mom and Dad. And she knew that her family loved her and that she would not be a burden to them. So she said, Fred, all i got to do is just surrender to the Lord and to my family, and they will take care of me. Oh, man, fellas. People would walk in, doctors would walk in. How you doing, fellas? Oh, she just lit up. She was just bright. She just kind of, have you met my nephew, Fred? Come here. Well, she wasn't walking. And she was so proud of me. And it wasn't long until after our conversation of three hours, I said, Phyllis, you just seem to have so much joy within you. She says, Fred, I'm at peace. I'm at peace. 
you're laying in bed, and that's going to be your future, and you're telling me that you're at peace. I walked away. I came back to my office. I sat down. I said, Lord, I lift my aunt to you. And then all of a sudden, it started to unfold. I saw within my aunt her trust in God. And then I saw her surrender to God. And then I saw her peace. What an equation. What an equation. Trust in God. Surrender to God. And peace from God. I like that. I like that. There was my illustration for my sermon that week. It was my aunt. She was a trooper. She was a fighter. And I shared this story a month ago at her memorial service. And what a privilege that was to be able to paint a picture of such an awesome woman who had such an awesome relationship with God, even in the condition that she was in. You see, the scriptures are pretty clear. Trust in the Lord with all your heart and lean not on your own understanding. Are you hearing that, Fred? Yeah, Lord. Yeah, I'm getting it. In all your ways, submit to Him and He will make your path straight. Are you hearing that, Fred? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Trust. Submit. Surrender. peace I leave with you, my peace I give you, I do not give you as the world gives. Do not let your hearts be troubled and do not be afraid. Are you hearing me, Fred? What a gift. What a gift he gives to us. But still, in my own selfish and worldly thinking, I ask the question, why is it so hard to surrender my life to Christ? Why is it so hard? Let me take you for a little ride. Got my keys. Now this is a new model from the one I had before, as you can see. It's an upgrade. I cannot afford a Jaguar, so I went and bought a Tiger. <laughs> Similar. Just as fast, I think. I mean, it's got a wonderful emblem on the hood. It's got the nice big T in the middle. And when I sit down in my new car, oh, man, this has a lot of safety features in it. As you can see, seat belts. Because you've got to have seat belts. Got my keys, start the ignition. 
boom, oh baby, that thing purrs like a kitten. One thing I did put into this car was Becky likes to have dice on the mirrors. Kind of bugged me, but she likes the dice. But of course, when you're in the car, you got to make sure all the mirrors work correctly, right? Rear view mirror, everything looks good. Yep, I can see back behind me. But then, of course, too, you got to test all the features to make sure they work. So the horn, okay, the horn works good. Little car, powerful horn. Okay, I can see all your faces in the back. Anybody who dozes off from this time on, you're get, I'll guarantee you, I'm going to wake you up. And then I start the car, and then off I go. And I'm driving along, and I've invited Jesus to sit down beside me, and Jesus is sitting there. He's just smiling. We're having a heyday. And before you realize it, <coughs> I'm in a ditch. I, I get out of the ditch and I say, oh man, I'm so sorry. And I start it up and off we go. And before long, all of a sudden, I go, do you know where we're at? No, I don't know where. I'm lost. I make bad decisions. And then off to the right, <coughs> I'm in another ditch. And he just sits there and smiles at me. And he says, I'll drive if you like. No, 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 no. Nope, it's my tiger. I'm driving my tiger. And off we go. We could do this for days. But in those days, guess what happens? I hit more ditches, more mailboxes, more fence posts. I get lost more than I can count. And every time he sits there and smiles and says, I can drive if you like. Until finally I say, fine. How many, how many parents have heard that? Fine. I'll relinquish. It's yours. In fact, I'll even get in the back seat. Yeah. And Jesus sits down behind my tiger. No, not my tiger. It's his tiger now. Because I'm in the back seat. And he starts off. And all of a sudden, before I realize it, he's going pretty fast. A lot faster than I ever went. But we never had any accidents. And he knew exactly where he was going. And we never got into one ditch. I'm going, this is pretty cool. I'm beginning to realize when the scripture says, come unto me as little children. I felt that in Hawaii, and I'm feeling it now. I like this. I like this. One day, Two days, three, four, maybe five. 
I find myself back up in the front seat with the keys in my hand. Why? Can you help me understand why? Everything was going so well. He did an awesome job. He never got in one accident. Never got pulled over by the police once. But yet, for some reason, I feel that I have to sit here and drive this car. Can you relate? Can you relate? Surrender. It's so hard. It's so hard. I remember my dad with macular degeneration when he lived in the complex. The seniors complex, he still drove even with macular degeneration. I said, Dad, you shouldn't. Ah, that's okay. Your mom's with me. She's my eyes. And I go, oh, no, Dad. It don't work that way. And I finally said, Dad, what are you going to tell that family when you hit that little old lady who goes across the street to get her mail? Because you're going to do it, Dad, not me. Yeah, you're right. You're right. One of the hardest things my dad had to do was relinquish the car keys. I think it's a man thing. But he had to surrender. Was his life terrible from that point on? No way. He realized that by surrendering just gave him a better peace of mind of knowing who's in charge. You know, children get it. Children get it. And he said, truly I tell you, unless you change and become like little children, like Freddie in Hawaii with his boys, you will never enter the kingdom of heaven. Jesus said, let the children come to me and do not hinder them for the kingdom of heaven belongs to such as these. What's he getting at? What's he getting at? I know for myself, I've come to the conclusion that over my 63 years, who? Enjoy me now. <laughs> but I have accumulated a lot of stuff. And wherever I go, my stuff comes with me. I'll be in, uh, uh, Renee. Where's Renee? I'll be in Sergio's in room for a meeting, okay? Here I go. Here I go. See, I, I can't seem to get away from my stuff. When I did counseling training, you know what they call this? Junk in the trunk. 
we have junk in the trunk. And it seems to affect me in making decisions. Why is that? Why is that? When we have our little grandson over to our house for a sleepover, this is all he brings. And there's no junk in his trunk. It's just underwear, shirts, and socks. Life necessities. There's no life necessities in my trunk. It's filled with junk that I have taken upon myself to believe is true. I believe it's true, so therefore it's in my trunk. And that's when we have to say, Lord, help me, please. Come to the point of going through my trunk and sorting out the falsehoods and the lies that the enemy has given to me over all of these years that I have held on to that has hampered my relationship with you. I want to be like my grandson, Augie. And anymore, he doesn't even need a little bag. Because little boys don't. They can carry their stuff in a hand. Kids get it. I have the privilege of doing Bible studies with Jada and Sophie. Where are you at, Jada? <laughs> wait a minute, wait a minute. You, okay, there I see the head. I see the head now. I feel like I'm at a basketball game. But it is truly a joy to spend time with these young ladies, to go through the scriptures with them, to be able to hear from there their thoughts, their opinions, their beliefs. Jada, will you have eternal life? Say it louder. Why? Because you have Jesus in you. You want to question that gal, go to 1 John 5.11 because she's absolutely right. And she can sleep at night. And she doesn't have to worry about the junk in the trunk that kind of diffuses or creates doubts in questioning her fact that she has a faith in a God that tells her, I love you, Jada, I love you, Jada, I love you, Jada. And she goes, mm, I don't know. Because see, we're like that. We're calloused. In fact, kids amaze me. I said, Jada, we're studying. I go, you know, it's kind of dark in here. Can I have some more light? This goes to show you how smart she is. She walks up and walks up to this little box on the wall. Did you catch that? She flipped a switch and lights came over the table. She's smart. You may be thinking I'm joking. But see, this young lady, she knew, she knew what this switch held 
in its ability to do. And she didn't even question the fact to say, sure, Pastor Fred. She walked over and she flipped the switch and on came the light because you know what? She just didn't harbor the knowledge in her brain of knowing. She acted upon it. Remember earlier, it's just not knowing the Bible. It's acting upon it. And by acting upon it, it creates a relationship with God and allows us to surrender the things that we hold on to. I go, oh, Jade, it's kind of bright in here. Sure, no problem. She flips the switch. She's a smart young lady. You can be proud, Mom, Dad. She's going far. Knowing God is what Christianity and religion and life eternal is all about. Do you agree with that? Knowing God is what Christianity and religion and life eternal is all about. John 17, 3, and eternal life means to know you, the only true God, and to know Jesus Christ whom you have sent. When we know somebody, it does something for us. I know that my wife loves me. And this Valentine, she proved it. With not just one big balloon, but a bunch of them and another big one. And I was going to bring it to church here so you could hear it sing the song. You're the one I'm... Okay, I'm gonna... <laughs> But see, I know that she loves me, so this never comes across my mind. Doubt. I never doubt her. I never doubt her. And it stems to the fact that I know that she loves me. God is saying, I love you. Don't doubt me. Don't let the things in your trunk eliminate our relationship and make it foggy and blurry. Don't let Satan creep into your life to give you doubt in something so simple, something so simple that Jada has understood. Jada, do you have life? Yes. Why? Because Jesus is in her. 1 John 5, 11. You know, it's so simple, we make it so blooming hard. It's not enough just to read the Bible. We must surrender to what the Scripture says about everything. But Pastor Fred, I have devotions, I read, I study. That's wonderful. Now act upon it. Surrender your agenda to him. Let him drive your car. Let him be in charge because when it happens, <laughs> it's joy. And I look at my aunt and I say, Lord, 
I hope it doesn't come to the point of having to force me to physically relinquish my surrender to you to experience the true peace and joy that you have for me. You understand what I'm saying? I want to be able to walk with these two feet. I want to be at my grandchildren's graduations and their weddings. I want to be actively involved in their life, but in doing so, I want to be a grandpa who has joy and peace and love based upon my relationship with the Jesus Christ who loves me. And if you have any questions, we just throw the doubts out the window. Is it a struggle? Yes. Is it a journey? Yes. Paul says that we must die daily. C.S. Lewis says relying on God has to start all over every day. As if nothing has yet been done. Oh, I remember going to a marriage seminar at Myvaden, marriage encounter, and we came home with a little pillow that says, love is a decision. It's not a feeling, it's a decision. Both Becky and I take that seriously. We have to decide that day to give the best of who we are to each other. And I thank you that you do. But I also have to wake up every day and say, Lord, loving you is a decision too. And the enemy is going to do everything he can to hinder my journey with you today, but all things are possible, Lord. All things are possible. When I take your hand, your hand, just remember when you were a child and took your mommy's hand when you went to the mall, take his hand in the morning and say, Father, I want a journey with you today. And by holding on to that hand, you will have the peace and the assurance with no doubts, with no fear that he will care for you. That is desire for me and that is my prayer and desire for you. That we can journey with God in a way that we can experience him like a child. Remember in your life the memory of your childhood and let that play and say you can have that same experience today because we have an awesome God. I can't help but think of the scriptures. Seek ye first the kingdom of God and all these things, Fred, will be added unto you. Fred, you want to be a better dad? Draw close to Christ. Fred, you want to be a better husband? Draw close to Christ. Fred, you want to be a better Adventist? Draw close to Christ. Want to be a better witness? Draw close to Christ. That's the only prescription that we need. Draw close to Christ. For that will cure all. Because he'll take care of everything else. Father, I pray from this spot of this car to ask that you'll be close to each one of us, not only the days to come, 
but the rest of our journey. May we surrender to you. May we see the simplicity of the message. May we understand the mindset of a child that we make it so hard when in reality you make it so simple. And as we leave here today, may we also pledge to you that our desire is to draw close to you every moment, every minute of every day. For with you, all things are possible. And we thank you for that. Be with us now. In your name I pray, amen.